0: Today on Soundtrack Alley, you'll hear as Eric Woods and I delve deep into the amazing film Jurassic Park from 1993, we'll discuss some of the innovative moves that Steven Spielberg employed to create such an amazing feature film, as well as a unique piece of movie magic wonder. We'll also discuss the fantastic epic score of the film and talk about some of the unused cues for the film. Sit back, relax, as the show begins now. your host randy andrews and with me is eric woods eric i'd like to ask you when was the first time you saw jurassic park
1: jurassic park was like one of those moments where you'll always remember the first time you you saw the movie it's like watching star wars for the first time or just experiencing one of those one of those landmark films So Jurassic Park was one of that. And I can recall traveling down to the theater and I saw it with my brother and sister. It was about two or three weeks after the film had been released. And so there wasn't a lot of people in the theater, but we were one of the big ones. You know, I knew it was great. I just didn't know what I was going to see and expect to see. And it really was a mind-blowing experience. I think more so... Uh, where I can recall how sound affected me, not so much the music, which was brilliant. And I already knew about the music beforehand. I had the soundtrack or before I saw it and the score is amazing, of course, but, uh, this is the first time I really kind of felt sound in a theater. Uh, we didn't have a lot of great movie theaters where we were living. And there were like, you know, there were the multiplexes that had only like one or two of the big theaters that had the huge sound systems. And the rest were like these small little theaters that you sometimes might get a 5.1 surround mix or. But this is kind of at the beginning of that whole digital age, which started with uh, Batman Returns. But I can remember the thump of the Tyrannosaurus walking and feeling it vibrate through the seats. And not in any way that it just felt like a wall of sound. I just, I felt the steps and the, you know, the mix in the film is, is extraordinary. And so while the visuals were just mind blowing as well. And again, for years, I tried to figure out how in the world they made animatronics walk as smoothly as they did. And then to find out later that it was CGI. And I'm like, again, being ignorant of all that sort of stuff it was actually quite magical. And you kind of wish you can go back to that and just kind of experience it without going, well, that's CGI, that's this, that's that. You're just uh, in awe, blown away. I, I would say it's the same way of anybody seeing Star Wars, where you're like, how in the world did they do that? And that's a really special part of the movie. And that's, that's what I felt. It was like, how did they do that? But then I also had this this experience with the sound that I had never experienced before. And I didn't get to see a lot of movies back then I did, or I didn't go to the theater a lot. And so that was a special experience. And just remember being absolutely blown away and I couldn't wait to see it again. And unfortunately the next time I saw it was on uh, VHS, but if I could ever go back to the theater and watch it one more time in a, like a great setup, like with a huge screen, great sound, I would, I'd be first in line, but it was a wonderful, it was a fantastic experience. It just, again, it's ingrained in my brain as one of the like happy moments, real happy moments. Just love that. Love that feeling of experiencing a movie of this sort.
0: Yeah. For me, I was 15 and I was with my dad at one of the only DTS theaters uh, in the city of Omaha. And it was like a AMC theater but it really blew my mind. I couldn't believe how amazing the sound quality was. Like you mentioned, the thump of the uh, T-Rex and the different sounds that were included in the film and how clear everything was. And you could hear the scratching and things like that. And I, I knew that... If I saw the movie again, I would never grow tired of it. And I ended up being able to see Jurassic Park in theaters three times. Not all at the time when it came out. First was the DTS theater, and then the second time I was at a dollar theater. And it was not, you know, a superior experience and then the last time I got to see it in theaters was at, I think it was some theater in Omaha, but I can't remember where. And it was in 3D. Oh, okay. yeah, right. So, right. so that was unique. It was a very unique experience. And I mean, yeah, it was 3D, but, you know, <laughs> it's Jurassic Park. So it was just amazing besides that. And... One thing that really blew my mind was looking back on Jurassic Park and how this movie, like, it revolutionized, like, animal behavior and how Steven Spielberg wanted the dinosaurs to be, like, real animals. Because we've seen other films that had uh, animals in them That They'd be slow-moving because either they'd have animatronics or they'd have animated dinos or animals or whatever, you know. But Jurassic Park changed all that because they were fast-moving, they were athletic. It was really interesting. Uh, The paleontologist Robert Baker, and that was what he came up with. He was showing that dinosaurs could actually do that and i was just you know i read about that later far later after jurassic park came out and i liked how steven spielberg wanted his dinosaurs to be fast moving to be warm-blooded predators and the if the t-rex was in the rain was cold-blooded it couldn't do anything because you know it's cold rain so it's like uh i don't want to be in this (laughs) And so with it being warm-blooded, he could move. He could do things. So this breaks us right into a discussion about the almost split-second transition of what Steven Spielberg accomplished with movie magic between animatronic and CGI. Because wouldn't you agree that this film changed the industry for computer-generated effects.
1: Yeah, Phil Tippett called it Black Monday uh, when he found out that Jurassic Park was going all digital because the initial setup was going to be Tippett doing stop motion, mm-hmm. and I mean that was the technology. Oh, that would have been horrible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and I mean Tippett, Tippett's a great animator. We've all seen his work. I mean his Ed 209 and in Robocop and. You know, he's a protégé of uh, Ray Harryhausen, and he knows his craft. He's very good at it. He's um, an incredibly skilled animator. But, you know, ILM had been working on, you know, CGI for quite a while. Dennis Murin, the genius over there at at, uh, Industrial Light and Magic. You know, ILM, I can't remember. I think that's either the first ever computer generated character was developed by ilm and put into young sherlock holmes mm-hmm. and once you saw the uh
0: uh the night, in the, on the night. Yeah. yeah
1: and so once you see that you're like okay we're moving forward with this and then of course you have this pseudopod in i think it's called the pseudopod or it's whatever that um the alien into that uh, uh worm like water creature is it going through the um, the facility in the abyss, and you know, to scan someone's face and have that projected onto, the, you know, the water surface or or within uh, 3D space, and and make that convincing. Oh yeah, yeah. And then of course yep. developing that further, with James Cameron in in Terminator 2. Here you had to, and and the thing is, all of that sort of stuff wasn't quote you know real life stuff. You know, the night was a uh, uh, glass panels coming to life. In young Sherlock Holmes, uh, you know, you had you had water simulation in in the abyss. And in T2, you know, you have this metallic figure who's walking like a human being, but is not a human being here. You have to somehow in CGI craft characters that are once real and are believable on screen. And so I'm trying to think of whether this film, yeah, would work with with stop motion but it's the, the best decision that was made by Dennis Murin, or at least even Spielberg, after seeing Dennis Murin's test of the, I think it was a skeletal run cycle. And knowing that you can get smooth motion, convincing animation that would work and work in conjunction with your actors on screen and work seamlessly with your animatronics and be believable, both in, uh, both in darkness and in daylight. And to be convincing enough for people to like me to go, how in the world did they do that? Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and the thing is, that's it's so nuts because that's CGI in its infancy. And to this day. But it was so good. Well, it's so good, but it still holds up to this day. Like you, you watch how many CGI uh, characters and movies and things like that where you're watching it and it just looks like crap. But, you you know, you go back to 1993 when they kind of first started developing this stuff and they said, yes, we're going to make cgi warm-blooded characters in full frame in daylight darkness whatever and make it look convincing and still be that kind of benchmark that you reach for every film that you're making to be to have your to have convincing characters or cgi animals or whatever and you're always going back to Jurassic Park that's its legacy that's this film's legacy and it's still I'm every time I watch this movie I'm still watching the sequences, and I, now I know which is an animatronic, which is a CGI character, but I, I'm just so blown away by it because I, you know, the, the first time I ever saw anything from Jurassic Park was the commercial, was the, uh, the trailer on, on TV. And I saw the part where the T-Rex is walking across in front of one of the Jeeps during the T-Rex, the initial T-Rex attack. And I'm just like, how are they getting something that big to move that smooth i just don't i i don't understand and then of course when it's you know all revealed later on with this and I, I saw a, a making of jurassic park on television and i was like what is this computer computers what is this but it's the it's also the the editing and yeah the, anima- the the great thing the ab- split second editing. well and the great thing about this is this is reference for animators and and, and animators have been doing this for a long time even um you know, hand-drawn animators have been, they'll go to the zoo if they have drawn an animal and watch how they walk and, and interact and move. And then they'll mimic that, mimic that in their anim, in their animation. And that's what they're doing here. And they still do that to this day. You want to create a realistic looking CGI character on screen. its It's mimicking or at least having a reference of movement, also reference of light. And all that sort of stuff to get it real. I mean, there's so much that goes into CGI, even the bad stuff, no matter how crappy it is, they're still trying their best to make it look real. But yeah, Jurassic Park is the benchmark of CGI characters. And I think how to use it correctly as well, because it's it's not used all the time. And even the stuff they you don't even realize is computer generated, including the Jeep that the the T-Rex is uh, gnawing at after he flips it over. Right. And he gnaws at the tire. And it's a computer generated T Rex, but it's also computer generated Jeep, and that blew my mind too. Because I was like, "How in the world did they do that?" So yeah, everything about what they did in this is is perfect. And I feel bad for Phil Tippett, even though he was the animation supervisor, he knew his career was finished after saying that they're going all, all digital. I feel really bad for him.
0: Yeah, well, because. Also, I mean, the thing about this movie that was so astounding was not only the CGI, but the level, the level of animatronics that they use. Yes, the T-Rex had very, very bad days, malfunctioning. I think Kathleen Kennedy had put it. The T-Rex went into the heebie-jeebies sometimes, scared the crap out of us. We'd be like eating lunch and then all of a sudden a T-Rex would come alive. It weighed 12,000 pounds and it was extremely powerful and they had to roll it around on a truck for the animatronic T-Rex.
1: Yeah, yeah cuz I don't I'm not sure whether they built that thing in full. I know they had the the foot, the leg, I think they had the torso. Mm-hmm. Um I'm not sh- I don't think they that had the, they had the a, head. Yeah, and the head and I don't think they did a full I don't know if they have a full maybe they have a, maybe they have a full body i'm not sure i don't know
0: i don't think it was a full body but p- most of it i mean they really really uh used a lot of elements of i mean it just was astounding and then the triceratops that was a full animatronic That wasn't even, you know, CGI. It was it was all animatronic, but they made it look so real. Oh, and
1: it's so simple, right? All you have to do is have it breathe properly and that, well, you know, no pun intended, but it breathes life into the, the character. It's a character. And so you have it reacting as if an animal would. And it's not very, it's nothing overly complicated, I think, about it, because it's just the breathing. It's the, you know, the moving of the foot and the eyes. I mean, I'm sure a lot of crazy technology went into that, but there's just simple movements that make that animal feel like it's real. I mean, it's actually there, too, and that's super important that, you know, the actors can interact with it. But, yeah, that's such a great moment in the movie as well.
0: Yeah, and I think they did that the same with, like, creating portions of a raptor the raptor head or the raptor foot. Um, oh yeah. cuz you never saw the full raptor unless it was CGI.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, the when it's when it's in kind of like that full motion having to do some crazy things that you couldn't do with another that yeah, that whole raptor attack sequence at the end. Another example of just a brilliant combination of of animatronic and and CGI.
0: Split second. Yeah, like the the point where the raptor sticks his head up into the duct and grant he he hits the raptor in the head yeah. with his boot and then the raptor falls down and then within that split second they switch it to a cgi raptor and <laughs> you know yeah. And it's just oh, and i think man. the illusion
1: would have been destroyed with stop motion i oh, definitely yeah. would have yeah i mean mm-hmm. there's nothing you can do in stop motion to Avoid having that jerky look to it. Although I love stop motion, love stop motion movies. I love the old school stop motion in in those old you know B monster movies. You know stuff that Tim Burton uh, has been doing. The stuff that um what's that company out in Portland um that uh, does uh, Kubo into Two Strings and oh right Leica. yeah Leica you know they 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 are doing extraordinary stuff within their own kind of world of everything being, you know, a stop motion along with some CGI. It's, it's tough to make it completely convincing, especially with real characters. I mean, that's why, um you know, that's why the ADATs work in Empire Strikes Back. That's why the ED-209 works, you know, the machinery you can do in stop motion and, and, and you're, and you're fine, but Jurassic Park, there, it wouldn't be as special if it wasn't, full CGI or not full CGI, but at least that technology in the movie.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We could go on and on about how amazing that is. Well,
1: we do have to give credit to Stan Winston. I mean, Oh yeah. Cause
0: Stan Winston, I mean, he, he and his team, they spent a year on the research and consulting with paleontologists, uh, museums, and even his artists created the sketches and renderings that, uh would compile the scale sculptures of the T-Rex.
1: Yeah, he was a genius. Sorely missed when he died, but back then you're in a time period where you could almost well you could. You could the the special effects people were celebrities as well, and you can name them by name. You knew the likes of Dennis Muren and Stan Winston, Phil Tippett. I mean, nowadays you watch a movie and you're like, you don't know who that is. But back then it's like any big special effects extravaganza, you knew it came from ILM and, and it was very, very special and you knew who was working on it. And Stan Winston was very much a, a, a well-known name and a star based on his creations, you know, the the predator and, and reworking the, the Terminators in T2 and I just, uh, an absolute genius. And then coming up with the, the dinosaurs in this film and the technology behind it to make that all work. And again, we say that, you know, the CGI doesn't work then this film doesn't work, but if those, those animatronic dinosaurs don't work um, and don't come off as real, then, you know, the, the illusion is broken and it all just, it all worked absolutely perfectly on this movie. And that's it. Just everything, everything, start to finish, is just you just can't have a a better production. <laughs> so good. I mean, it's why well, it's a classic today. Just a great big summer blockbuster movie that is really something special. With because of all the special talent working on it. Yeah. Exactly.
0: All right. So one thing that I know we need to tackle. And this goes right into sound design, um, how the scene is laid out. It's important for this discussion about Jurassic Park. The element of non-music during the first T-Rex scene.
1: Yeah, that's that's something special. Music again. We're talking about the illusion. And I just think that that then becomes it becomes too much because without it, you're you're in the Jeeps with the characters. You're with the kids and 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 you're experiencing what they're experiencing as if it was happening to you.
0: You get the real terror. You get the real scares.
1: Yeah. And that's where, you know, just hearing the pitter patter of the of the rain on the on the cars. But then, you know, to hear the big boom of the T-Rex coming closer and, and then, you know, to hear its roar and, and just to hear all of that away from music, it's a great choice by Spielberg and Williams there. Um, And the funny thing is that the major T-Rex attack in the next film is completely scored. Oh yeah. But the thing is, it works great. Mm-hmm. So I'm look, I'm assuming that if there was music in this sequence, it still would be amazing. But I just think that it it really takes some guts to say, hey, this is we're just gonna step back and we're just gonna let it play out uh and, and we're gonna let the kind of the rhythm of the edit and the sound tell the story here. And it's just as terrifying. I mean, it's 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 as if he it's as if John Williams decided, you know, if we go back to Jaws to not score. Uh, one of the major attack sequences without jaws is music. And I think that becomes more terrifying because you are not giving any sort of warning, right? When you hear the jaws music. So there's no warning here with the exception of hearing sounds of, Oh my God, the, the, the T-Rex is getting closer. You know, where's the goat. And that's, and I think that's the, the goat leg is perfect. It's so, because that one it crashes on the top of the Jeep, that's your jump scare without any music. Um, and then you know the music then pops in right at the end of that sequence, and it's thrilling. Um, and uh, again, um, I would love to see that sequence maybe without some without music and see if it works just as fine. And I'm sure it would. It's good to know that that sequence wasn't even scored. It's not like they stripped the music away. I'm just glad that the decision was made. No, we're leaving that empty, and we're yeah, just going to let I it play think out the way that it is. was
0: just brilliant. Yes. The way it was set up, the way uh the sound design was, how Steven Spielberg invested so much creation of the DTS because, like you said, the rain, the car door opening up, or the car door even shutting. Yeah. The whole um T-Rex head and you know that was animatronic. Yes. But it was so clear. And it's like, and he got Stan Winston got the eye to dilate. Yeah, I mean that was cool. Yeah,
1: it still is. It still it is. Still holds up because yeah.
0: it's like, how
1: did they do that? Well, and on top of that you got t- you got time it with kids, right? You got time it with a kid who's going. You got to shine it at this point for this long, and then when we turn it off, we got to dilate it back. And and it's I don't know how many takes they did of that. But that again, that just adds to the realism of the situation. You know, when you see those sort of little details. But you're right. I love the jerk reaction of the T-Rex when the door slams. Love the sound too. I mean, the sounds are so great. I mean, it's they're all natural sounds. I think it's a like uh, a walrus. Walrus. There's
0: several. There's several several different uh, animals. Like you know,
1: but like you know, one of the most gentle creatures in the world, a dolphin, is the sound of a raptor, which I think is just oh yeah, absolutely crazy. But yeah, the the uh, again one of those one of those great moments in cinema that you'll always remember forever is the first roar of the T Rex. You know when he comes out of the uh, out of the fence that he's ripped down and he just kind of bends down and just lets out this huge roar towards camera. You're like, holy smokes, yeah, wow. And it's again, uh... and again, that's it's like if you don't get that right, if you don't get that sound right, like what does a T Rex sound like? You have no idea. And it doesn't sound like an old movie monster. It just, it belongs to Jurassic Park. It's almost like, it's almost like a a Ben Burtt's punch sounds from uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, signature sounds that belong to specific movies and the dinosaurs. I mean, you hear that, those sounds in other films uh, all the time, but just to craft your own library of sounds and make that unique and, and say, yeah, those are Jurassic Park sounds. It's so good.
0: Yeah, uh, the roar was combination of dog, penguin, tiger, alligator, and elephant.
1: Oh wow! So, who, what was the walrus for? Because I know they make a huge. Um, I think it was the growl, wasn't it? Like that really yeah. low growl. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was. Yeah. So yep. cool. So great. Yeah. And it's just well, it's like even know, the sound of the uh, the brilliant. brachiosaur at the beginning mm-hmm. of the um the movie. I mean that's what we are talking about the um, when I said like the big bang that I first felt rumble through my chair in the theater it was the brachiosaur not so much the T-Rex so when I you know when after he or she <laughs> raises her neck up and tries to eat the top part of the tree and then comes crashing down and everything shakes that that was just wow but the the sound of hearing her you know stride along across the the camera and when we first see the dinosaur the brachiosaur it was just just this, this whale, this wonderful whale. And wow. Wow. So exciting.
0: Yeah. It, again, we can really appreciate the level that this film had on pop culture on everything. Like it changed, like it, it surpassed every single record for the time Mm -hmm. and even with the music, that we can really now talk about that to really get into it. So when we think about some of the things that John Williams has done and the different things that he's employed for different films, Jurassic Park still is kind of anonymous by comparison uh, because it has this rare identity Uh, That John Williams did, I think anyway, that Jurassic Park has a brilliant score because it has some of the best pieces or cues that Williams has composed for themes for Jurassic Park. Does that make sense?
1: Out of the entire, out of his entire career, I mean, up to that point, I mean, think about what he had already written and i mean he was already a legend because of star wars and close encounters and writers of the lost ark and et and you know he'd written the most memorable olympic music everybody knows the Olympic music because he heard every four years on nbc and uh he wrote that in um 1984 and you know there's up to that point, then after that, I mean, you think about what he's, he had written, you know, you're thinking Space Camp, Witches of Eastwick, um, Always, Indiana Jones, Last Crusade, Hook, Far and Away. I would say that none of those reached the, the general public's conscience. I mean, you can't go out there and say, hey, sing me the theme to Hook or sing me the theme to Witches of Eastwick. I know us, as film music fans, we can. But if you go up to someone and say, hey, you know, what's the Imperial March? What's Star Wars? What's Raiders of the Lost Ark? You know, during that time where John Williams could do no wrong between 77 and 84, I mean, most of those scores, the, the real classic ones, you know, people can hum and sing. But, you know, with Jurassic Park being such a cultural phenomenon around the world, uh, that's where you kind of get to the point where even the music itself is going to transcend the movie. And, I mean, to this day, I mean, it's become a meme almost, um, the, the the music. And and it's funny. It's actually funny, some of the memes I've heard. But I mean, the, the themes are, you hear it, anybody can, can say it's Jurassic Park. And they won't get confused with like, if someone hears Superman, I mean, again, not just a film music fan. If someone hears Superman, they'll say, hey, that's, is that Star Wars? No. <laughs> if they hear Jurassic no. Park, if they hear any <laughs> of the two main themes, whether it's the slow moving one uh, for the dinosaurs or where it's the island theme, th- they'll know it immediately. And so this is one of the first scores in close to a decade. And then, of course, he scored Schindler's list that everybody can tell and know what it is. So, yeah, this is this is one of those seminal moments in Williams's career again. And he had so many of them. But this is a classic. And to think and to think didn't get an Academy Award nomination. And I'm thinking that they didn't even submit it because Schindler's List was the one that they wanted to really win. But I mean, in any I mean, in any other year, this is the winner, or at least it gets yeah. a nomination. It should. It, it should. But it's like, it's really tough to, uh, which one is it? Is it Schindler's List or is it Jurassic Park? Which one was the best score? I mean, think about the year. Think about that year. As a composer, you have both Jurassic Park and Schindler's List on your list of scores for one single year uh, any composer would die just to have one of them but Jurassic Park is we were playing that theme in in high school band and i even learned how to play it by ear on the piano Me and too. it was just yep. so special and it's um it's a it's a classic score it's in that kind of that classic realm of John Williams scores. I mean, because his style started to change immediately after '93. I mean, he had a break in '94, and then he got back in '95, and you can hear the new progression of his style. Mm-hmm. And well, because he
0: did Lost World.
1: Well, he did after Lost World, yeah, and it, and every, and things are starting to become more more rhythmic. Whereas here, I mean, you listen to this score; it's there's a ton of melody, and it's not only in the the big set pieces like the journey to the island, but it's in the action music as well. There's a whole bunch of melody just ripping through this whole score, which is what John Williams used to do. But then he started, he still wrote some great melodies, but you can definitely hear a stylistic change after this point.
0: Yeah. And it, I I just, it really did uh, change after this film and after the music that he wrote for it. Like, who hasn't recognized the remembering Petticoat Lane theme, you know, that simple, almost,
1: um, it's like a lullaby,
0: but it's, yeah, it's but it's, a
1: it's, circus, lullaby it's, it's a lullaby, circus like circus music. music. Yeah. Yeah, but And you're right, it's it a reminds you of, of hook. Again. Yeah. 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 It reminds yeah, you of yeah, Very childlike.
0: Mm hmm. And then, you know, you get you get the major beefy moments with the raptor theme. And it's that it's like a four note motif. You right. know, boom 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 boom. Yeah. Is that the sound of death?
1: <laughs> uh, is that the dsra Is that dsra Uh, uh
0: do, 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 do. Yeah, I believe it is. I believe it is. <laughs> wow of, we're uh, talking ds in, in I, this i episode. don't like talking
1: about ds because it just <laughs> brings up ds area every time they hear these four notes in that combination and sometimes the composer doesn't even mean it uh, and I can't recall DS area right now. Um, but anyway, that's actually, it's an interesting point. Um, the theme though, you know, I used to th- think it was the raptors theme, but it's actually the carnivore theme. Oh it's yeah. Yeah. For yeah. Because uh, I hear it with the T-Rex. For, for the
0: T-Rex too. Yeah.
1: And so I'm like, yeah. is he reusing the raptor theme for, but it's actually the theme for the mm. dinos for the, um, oh my God, I guess he'd say the bad dynast, but it's the carnivores. And that was uh, something that I first read in the liner notes for the expanded edition of the score from level and records. And I should have guessed, but I always thought it was Raptors. I thought I always thought it was more. Yeah. For the Raptors because Don Davis, then in Jurassic park three uses it again, but for the Raptors and not for the carnivores or yeah. not for the T-Rex or the Spinosaurus. But so maybe I always he felt kind of.
0: Yeah. Couldn't yeah. distinguish it. You sure. know, maybe. Sure. But
1: anyway, I thought, they, thought I it was know. interesting that he wrote it for the carnivores. So mm-hmm. um yeah. And it's well, it gets great use. I love it. I love it.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. It's just it's really fabulous. And the the music that we're discussing today is from the La La Land Records uh release for the uh, score.
1: Superb release. Yeah. Yeah. That's um uh, it's kind of the way that I've always wanted to hear the score. I mean, there's, there's times where like, I don't mind some John Williams arrangements of albums, but I always felt like it kind of blew it with the first release of Jurassic Park and we were just so familiar with it, but it just felt like there was wasted space. Just, just, oh yeah. And it was all over. Yeah. It was all over the place. Yeah. Like, and I, and I can understand things being out of chronological order. Williams did that all the time, but the way that he labeled certain tracks, like the end credits weren't really the end credits. It was just kind of the last half of the end credits when the end credits was actually a track called welcome to Jurassic park, which I think was in the middle of the album and only came a couple of tracks after journey to the Island when we already first heard all these themes. Yeah. yeah. And you know, then the theme for Jurassic park was the second track of the album after the opening titles, those three Mm -hmm. big bangs. And it just felt overly repetitive Mm-hmm. where you could have taken those things out. And I know John Williams sequences his albums for listening experience, for the listening experience. Mm-hmm. And I think some of the edits are fine. But I just think that there was, I mean, I was so utterly disappointed not to have well, the T-Rex it's Chase mixed up. music. It's not so much that it's mixed up. It's Well, that, the it's aisle,
0: that. incident and in Isle Nebular, and then you get the the scene from the going to the...
1: Where they're checking on the car, yeah, and and I and I, I understand I understand that, and I, and I and I think that, and there's times where that bothers me as well. Um, I just felt that some of that music. Here's the thing: that opening track, the the that was the Ila Numblar opening music, which then trans um, segued into the searching for Ian, but then that track just ends. And I'm just like, give me the last two minutes of that, which was the T-Rex Chase with the Jeep. And when it ended, I can clearly remember hearing it when it ended. I'm like, where is the T-Rex Chase music? And for as long as that album was and for as much as we got, I mean, it's tough to complain because with John Williams albums, he really he paid for it because, you know, recording in L.A., it's expensive to release that much music. Um, and that's why Varese Sarabande Records had thirty-minute albums back in the '90s. It was so expensive to release that stuff. But John Williams was always giving us a lot of music on his albums, where they were recorded in in London, where there were no reuse fees, or where it was LA, where there were. But you know, I didn't need like three or four different versions of the main theme. <laughs> yeah, and I just give me the T Rex chase music. I mean, there, there's some albums out there where I'm like, I'm fine. With what you do. I'm fine with the way you edit it. I'm fine. But just why have you left that one piece of music out where it's so prominent? It's like one of the chase scenes. It's like, how can you leave that up? It's like leaving off the Falcon flight in uh, the rise of Skywalker soundtrack where everybody knows that's one of the best cues from that score. And it's not on the soundtrack album, it's not on the soundtrack. So album. Williams, um, I can understand his, I mean, and there's other times where i just don't agree with his editing and I'm going to bring up the desert chase from Raiders lost ark. That original LP edit is just the worst. There's times where you don't need to edit things, but then there are times where leave some of this stuff off, like the fourth incarnation of the Jurassic park theme, and just give us a couple of more score cues and it'll still work. So, the original album was a bit of a mess um, and it's tough for anybody to defend John Williams sequencing and decisions for that album. But now that we have La La Land's release in chronological order, it plays great. Even as a standalone listen, I think it plays phenomenally well. Um, I, I love it. I really do. They did a great job at La, La Land records.
0: Yeah. And I think they did a really good job with giving us the right music At the right times, even in the film, because didn't John Williams work closely with the sound editing team?
1: Yeah, that's something special about this film. And I don't know. And again, I'm not really sure whether John Williams did it on any other movies, but having reading through uh, it's a great book that I got um, at the time when the film was released called the making of jurassic park by don shea and jody duncan they did another one for uh, the lost world jurassic park great books great insight on the making of the of the movies and they have a a couple pages dedicated to to john williams and and the process of writing the score and they mentioned that traditionally you know the sound team would work on their own john williams would be out scoring and then eventually everything would come together during the sound mix. And that's when composers and sound editors get really angry because, you know, their scores usually get drowned, drowned out by sound effects and they rarely win any arguments with the director on that. But for this movie, John Williams and the sound team decided that they were going to work together. And so they, what? Met... <laughs> know, crazy. They decided that working together earlier on and, seeing a premix of the sound effects for the major scenes, um, then John Williams can, Then this is sort of like a spotting session with the sound team. It's totally separate than the spotting session with the director where John Williams can then look on the screen and go, okay, well, that's where there's a big sound effect. So I don't really need to, be have music there but here's a break I can add music here to lift that emotion oh okay well here's where there's nothing going on maybe you can add something here and so they were working in tandem to make sure that they weren't um contaminating each other for the lack of a better word where their separate sounds could mesh and or be highlighted in various different ways which I think is fantastic what also was really great is John Williams actually wrote the score at Skywalker Ranch uh, he wrote it in the end of uh, February of '93, um, and what was beneficial about that is that the sound team re- uh, mixed everything at Skywalker Ranch, and John Williams had an office at Skywalker, so they could oh, nice. still work together. And John Williams could come over with a piece of music, and you know, watch the the movie with the with a premix, and kind of see how everything was working, and whether his music might be might work in the scene and, and whatnot, and. So when you listen to the finished product, it's no wonder the score has so much life and so much breathing room and that the sound effects, uh, you know, kind of back away during certain moments. I mean, Journey to the Island and that whole entire massive queue from when we first see the helicopter going to um, uh, Ilanamblar to, And then, you know, getting into the Jeep and then seeing the dinosaurs for the first time and then making way to the the Jurassic Park compound, John Williams scores the star. I mean, the sound mix also is great as well. And we've mentioned that. But then, you know, Williams just, oh, adds magic to it. And we can hear it. It's It's a big problem in movies these days, especially these big special effects extravaganzas where it's wall of sound, and sometimes the score is even fighting. It's fighting. It's overplaying, and it just becomes too much. Here, everything breathes. Yeah,
0: and, and a good example of, oh, there's a wall of sound is the, I know this is, I mean, the movie's not even out yet, or maybe it is, but uh, Kong versus Godzilla, oh, trailer I- music. The trailer yeah, oh, music yes. is horrible th- <laughs> because it's just so loud and you so, can hardly hear it. Yeah,
1: you can barely hear it. It's yeah. I don't know. I don't. I. I don't know why anybody writes music anymore. It's all noise. It's all well, noise. I mean, in, we're gonna get off topic just a bit, but I mean, in Godzilla, King of Monsters, Bear McCreary wrote probably his career best score. Oh just yeah, just this monster action score. And uh, he, during the uh, uh is it Rodan sequence, yeah. one of his best cues of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can you can hardly hear it, and it is yeah because it it's massive. all the sound and it's all it, the it's, sound. But yeah. it just I think everybody feels like you have to just push everything to eleven, twelve, thirteen, and think that a gigantic wall of sound is going to be the most impressive thing. And it's, it really isn't. And it becomes annoying. It becomes tiring, very fatiguing. And, and music has no room. Music. I don't even know why Bear McCreary decided to write anything for it. It just got drowned out. And most of his score gets drowned out. Most scores these days, especially for the big blockbusters get drowned out. John Williams score for star Wars. Uh, I think even the, all three of them, the last sequel, were drowned out, completely drowned out. Music is just abused and, and nobody shows it any respect unless then you get the opposite effect where Christopher Nolan overmixes everything and just destroys your eardrums. And, you know, that's the issue with Tenet. So, but I mean, if you want to hear an absolutely brilliant mix, again, where you have the sound team in tandem with music. Um, they did everything that they could to make sure that this all worked. And Jurassic Park is a wonderful example. It's still, again, still holds up to this day. Such a dynamic mix. It's so great. It's so refreshing to go back and watch a movie like this and hear it. And you're like, huh. You know, everything seems balanced. <laughs> Where everything exactly else right? is just like yeah. in your face. <laughs> you know, yep. and it's it's so nice yep. to have a real balanced dynamic mix.
0: All right. So, you know, there was something that I was thinking about, and you probably know more about this than I do. But was John Williams the only conductor for the scoring sessions
1: for Jurassic Park? Uh, The answer is no. Uh, Oh, really? (laughs) And I, I don't see this anywhere else other than in Artie Kane's book. Okay. called Music to My Ears, Life and Love Between the Notes. Great book, actually. Mm-hmm. You, know, you get your hands on it. I highly recommend you, uh, you check it out. Um, a very unique individual. You know, he did some orchestrations and conducting and things of that sort. But um, near the end of the book, and I didn't even realize that until I was reading it, there's mention about the Jurassic Park sessions. Yes. And... I'm like, okay, this is interesting. So I'll try to make it short, but try to include some of the the funny moments. Okay. Um, so you know, Artie Kane is I'm not sure what he was doing at the time, but he gets a phone call from John Williams, and he essentially said, John Williams did, that his back gave out, couldn't get out of bed, and so that he needed Artie Kane to be at Sony's scoring stage to stand by for him. And I don't honestly think that he thought he was going to go there and conduct. He thought that maybe Williams was going to get out of bed and everything was going to be fine. So he got ready, went to the, went to the studio and, you know, eventually ran into Ken Womberg, John Williams's music editor. And Ken Womberg says this quote, Hey kid, you got a hundred and six piece orchestra to play with today. End quote. <laughs> and so Artie's like, "Well, where in the world is your boss?" And Womberg's thinking, "Well, Steven Spielberg's in Poland. He's shooting Schindler's lesson. And he's like, "No, no, 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 no. Where's John Williams?" He's like, "Well, John isn't even coming. He's still in bed. He he can't get out of bed." Um. So Artie's like, he asked me to come here to to stand by for him, and he's like, "No, no, 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 no. You are actually going to be um." Uh, conducting. And uh, so here you go. You have 106 players to play with today. So, I mean, <laughs> I can't imagine how terrified,
2: terrified he would be.
1: <laughs> you'd have to yeah. be, right? Because, and here's the thing this is day one of the recording sessions to Jurassic Park, and you're filling in for John Williams. Now, <laughs> remember, Artie Kane has not seen a note of music. And that's difficult. I mean, it's already difficult for musicians who are the incredible sight readers and they do this all the time. They see music and they play it perfectly after the first take. But as a conductor, not being able to see the score, the notation, um, time signatures, the everything, not knowing it inside and out and how to conduct it, it just, again, it must have been terrifying because on top of that, you haven't seen the movie. So now you're trying to, whether he was planning to click or streamers and punches it's just I can't imagine how again stressful this was for Artie Kane oh yeah but you know he got but he did through it, it. right um, yeah. and he started off I think the session with a crazy action cue mm-hmm. and there's this great quote in his book about how he was conducting so he would he while he was conducting um I think it was he said he was sight reading uh, the full score for dinosaur chase music, some sort of Bricknick speed cue. So he can see the orchestra that they have their heads buried in the music. Meanwhile, they would kind of look up and all they would see is Kane just um, essentially in quote, kind of looking like a traffic cop, waving his arms through an intersection of roadblocks while at the same time he's whipping over one page of a time with his other arm trying to get through the score. And there was, Times where I mean it was just so frenetic and so fast that he would skip pages while he was flipping, so he had no idea where he was in the music. So he would just keep on conducting, but thank goodness the musicians knew where they were. So Artie Kane conducted for three days. He conducted three days of sessions before John Williams finally returned. And I'm not sure whether this is anybody knew about this when 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 um, releasing the Lawland La records. Album or whatnot, I don't see Artie Kane's name anywhere. I don't know whether he got credit or this was just kind of like, you know, ghostwriting work for the lack of a of a better word. But Artie Kane conducted portions of Jurassic Park, and I dare that's you to, really cool. I dare you to pick out which tracks he conducted over John Williams. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. seamless, and so yeah. you know, I don't I don't get this idea that you know John Williams conducting his own music is is the 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 best version of John Williams music because if you listen to Jurassic Park, Artie Kane conducted three days. So yep. and it's what was really neat about this too is that John Williams was listening to the whole session over the phone. Oh man. And so because Artie Kane would come back and goes like was that okay? And they would talk on the phone and John's like, Yeah, that that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> so um awesome. kind of a neat little little tidbit, tidbit. of information yep. as to uh you know a, a very special guest conductor on yeah, the recording that's of Jurassic cool. Park.
0: So uh, some of the, the cues we're going to talk about, first of all, like we've mentioned it a couple times, is Journey to the Island. You know, the score of, or the cue, Journey to the Island, is so grand and illustrious. You know, it's just, it's brilliant and awe-inspiring. It's, it's a gorgeous testament to John Williams being able to carry a theme, create a whole mood that makes even the island a character in respects
1: yeah um i I don't know what i can say turn <laughs> Trinity the island it's that
0: perfect there's like nothing it, I, it's just yeah it, it mm. even john williams plays it straight even in the comedic moments there's still that that wonderful music that you can hear and it's is showing the grand scheme of the island how how they have to drop you know and they're they're dealing with the seatbelts and 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 then it's not over like it doesn't end with that they they get in the cars and they start driving and and then they get to um the gate and they're like what do they got in there king kong you know and uh it's just John Williams plays it so straight, but yet it's so brilliant, and it's a wondrous piece of music that really ties the movie together in such an amazing way.
1: Well, you know what's really unique about this piece is uh, we haven't heard any of the major themes up until this point. No. I'm I'm not sure how long we are into the movie. Are we about a half an hour into the movie at this point? Yeah. Because we've gone through yeah. the exposition and... Mm-hmm. I just love, also love how it just explodes on screen and then it just kind of, it's very calming and you're really not 100% sure what you're going to experience, but you're right. They play the the comedic music just right. But then it's, you know, uh, what's the line that Hammond says, which will have landed by the time you get it. (laughs) Well, no. Yeah. But then he says, uh, Oh no, no, we're here. What's he say when he looks out the window and he, and then of course there. Yeah. And so then, you know, then what do we hear first? We hear the 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 secondary theme, the island theme. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it is this just grand adventure theme. And there's no doubt in my mind Spielberg edited this for John Williams. He's like, here you go. This is this is my gift to you. Have fun with this. And Williams just crafts this stunning theme that, you know, is just one of many. <laughs> And, yeah, to think and it that,
0: has three parts it has yeah, three and,
1: parts to well, it and to think and to think of the, the you know you got the island theme and like oh well, that's great I mean any composer would die just to have that one in their movie you know mm-hmm. and then the the helicopter lands you know the jeeps drive through and then everything just kind of slows down once the jeeps stop and there is this sense of there's a sense of mystery and dread almost. Cause we're really not a hundred percent sure what we're about to see. Like what type of dinosaur are we going to look at? Cause everybody's kind of like twerk their head to the left and they're all in awe. Some great shots there of just seeing everybody just, you know, in total, all of what they're looking at. And you, and it, then just Williams turns on the tear ducts and you get this against what everybody thinks about dinosaurs. And they're not scary. They're they're, it's just this majestic majestic yep. theme <laughs> that is so warm and so lovely and just so beautiful. But the thing about it is, again, he plays it right through that scene. Um, he still manages to hit a sink point again when the when the dinosaur crashes, the theme ends, and of course we get the you know how did you do this? Let me show you. And, but he's playing this beautiful theme through dialogue, through everything that we're seeing. And uh, it's just so grand and beautiful and wonderful and whatever else you can say about it. Um, but, another, and then, and then, you know, we get this sense of urgency as well. It's like, all right, let's get going. Let's get to this. Like, well, what else, what else is going to happen? And we watch the Jeep Jeep's drive to the, um to the compound. The visitor center. And the thing about this, and we were, Complaining so much about the setup of the original soundtrack that came out in ninety-three, I am shocked that John Williams let this thing play from start to finish. Oh, because yeah. Because there's some I know, incidental right? stuff in there that probably could have been chopped out that might not have worked with the flow of a of a proper listen. But I thought that, you know, you could easily have ended this right after the the playing of the Jurassic Park main theme before then going to the drive to the visitor center. But he left everything in. And that's one thing that I really appreciate about that album is that, man, that from start to finish is exactly how it is. It's like an it eight is. minute cue. And you know what? It's exactly how it is as written as it is in the movie. I don't think there's any edits. And that's a rare thing that we rarely get in days today where there's micro edits and, and little snippets here and crossfades and whatnot. It's played start to finish. It's so beautiful. And and that's where we are introduced to our two main themes and there's, <laughs> I, mean, I I'm trying to think of other great ways where you've heard John, like Imperial March, um, star Wars. And, and even the the Raiders March, like these, these are just ingrained in your, your the, memories, um, the map room. Yeah. All that. Oh yes. All that sort of stuff. But it's just music plays here. Music plays such a key role. In mm-hmm. us feeling the way that we are supposed to feel about the dinosaurs up to that point. And we're watching all the uh the vegasaurus. a uh, veg veggies. what do they call them? Vegisaurus. <laughs> Vegisaurus. The yeah. Yeah. We're watching the ve- <laughs> vegisauruses out there and John Williams is playing it just so warm and calm and lovely and it yeah. just goes against everything like I said, everything that we know about dinosaurs to the point. And that's what and that's what's so great is that later on, you know, the the dread Mm -hmm. later on is scored so wonderfully as well
0: oh yeah well let's let's go ahead and play that we're gonna play the journey to the island uh cue So we've really been impressed by that cue. Oh, <laughs> I it's can't a classic say enough of that. Um the next one I want to really look at, and we get it in the film, but we don't hear it very well um, is the Falling Car and T Rex Chase. Mm-hmm because we we hear the, the opening part of that because we've already heard the, the silence like after Grant saves Timmy from the car and they climb down the tree and then the car falls on them. <laughs> right. uh, but that's beside the point, you know there, it's quiet. It, it's a quiet moment and then there's music and then it's quiet again. But then Ellie and Muldoon, they, are hunting for grant and the kids and then they come across um malcolm and i think some of malcolm's best lines are within the second half of the movie because (laughs) i mean must move faster he's like he's like tell john i've had a lovely weekend (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) and you know we have to go now yeah, you have to go now.
1: Yeah, what was he <laughs> and, saying? Like he does, doesn't doesn't he like describe his emotions at the moment? Yeah, yeah. He's like,
0: <laughs> I'm feeling slightly alarmed here. <laughs> That's <right>.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: But even in the book, even in the book, some of his best lines are quotes at the beginning of a chapter, or you know, he discusses chaos theory. Yeah. quite frequently, and this cue really develops chaos um because of the T-Rex chase wouldn't you agree
1: uh the, yeah this is this is one of those cues i was dying to hear and i just thought it was the most thrilling thing i heard up to that point in the movie and what i really love about it is john williams's use of just these screeching um, crazy woodwinds it's so amazing but even the even the rapid fire pace that he's playing the uh, the carnivore theme it's so fast so and, and fast. chaotic yeah but the orchestrations are just so incredible um it's it really adds there's a there's a real great sense of danger but also excitement to the to the sequence and it's only it's the last it's only like couple a couple minutes, minutes. Yep. At the end of this track, but it. Uh, what's so great though is it starts with those low um, woodwind. I think they're like bassoon uh, rumbles, right? When you hear the thump of the uh, the T Rex, and you know they're like, right, and then you hear it again, and I'm like, oh, that's so awesome, you know, very kind of like Mickey Mousey, and he's. That's where I'm like the composer's having a lot of fun.
0: Right, I'm just oh, gonna, yeah.
1: I'm gonna, I'm yeah. gonna. You're gonna hear the sound, then I'm gonna be like, "Hey, check this out." Um, You know, it's he's <laughs> coming, he's coming. It's so great, but yeah, once once that cue explodes, I was like, "What is this? This is." Yeah, I've always loved John Williams' action music, and this is one. I was like, "Man, I can't wait to go home and hear this on the album." And it wasn't. And there. you don't. No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it's on the La La Land
1: release. Thank goodness. Yeah. Thank goodness. It's so cool
0: too. It's it's, oh, it's so wicked good. Yeah. So fast and yeah. so quick. But it's like, "Oh my goodness, that's good writing."
1: Well, even and the <laughs> same thing for the falling car uh action yeah. sequence. It's so frenetic. Yep. It's crazy mm-hmm. fast and and then there's some um mystery music.
0: Yeah, it has those high screeching moments right like oh yeah Yeah, well
1: there's this you can hear that the orchestra sort of descending along with the with the car coming down and it's so that's so john williams he's done that numerous times where he's followed vehicles or, or people descending i mean if you think of those long horns those wild horns and raiders when the jeep falls off the off the cliff or um there's a portion in minority report during that whole fight sequence there where um uh, I think it was Anderton and one of the, the guys are trying to capture him. They're like, they're like falling down from a, a scaffolding and it's, he's, he's, he'll run down the strings, right. He'll descend down them. And, and I love that sort of stuff. And he does that with the opening of this cue. So if you listen for that, but I even like the mystery music, the kind of the searching music in between as well. That's really, it's, it's really good stuff. And um, yeah, there, there's nothing, there's no, there's no bad cue on this score but this is one yeah i've always wanted to hear and thanks again to la, la land for 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 bringing this out of the vault
0: yeah exactly so now let's hear the falling car and the t-rex chase So next um, I'm not sure how to approach this cue um, because there's two elements to it and when I was listening to Hungry Raptor I, I Was listening to it from the La La Land release and then I listened to Raptor attack and I could tell a lot of the similarities between both cues however The frenetic chaos, which highlights the whole brilliant move in regard to incorporating the novel um, chaos theory that Malcolm brings out multiple times in the novel by Michael Crichton. You know, he brings up chaos theory so much in the book and then you get it. You get that chaos by means of Hungry Raptor, which we don't hear much of, and then we get it also in Raptor Attack. Now, Eric, isn't there something about uh Hungry Raptor, is there a reason why some of that was
1: chopped out of the film? Uh it was I I don't I don't know why, but it is it is there's nothing really stated as to why Hungry Raptor was removed. Um, But it is probably the most out there in different sounding of the action cues, kind of streamlined, has this really weird sound to it. It's exciting. It's great. And the first time I ever heard it, though, was on that um, making of documentary that I saw on television. And they used this cue for the end credits of the, of the, and, and I'm like, what is this? But I thought maybe it was just someone, um, writing some production music in the similar vein of Jurassic park. It just sounded like there was some electronics in it. and was oh, really yeah. kind of like, it was really it had strange,
0: some synthetic elements yeah.
1: to it. And so, uh, then I found out that it was an actual cue that was dumped from the movie And it was supposed to play over uh, Ellie's battle with the Velociraptor after she restores power uh, back to the park. And so I tried to put it up against the picture and it really doesn't work. And so this is a case where Spielberg made the right decision to just use like raptor attack. Yeah. And so that's one of those times where I'm like, yeah, that's a good idea. But it's still super fun. It's a super fun piece of music. And when I, again, finally heard it for the first time um, away from the movie, uh, it was great to have it. And then it just realized that it was a John Williams piece. I was like, wow, this is this is something quite different. Um, But it's just it's just as frenetic and and crazy as the other action music. But it's just a bit different. And so I can understand why it was taken out.
0: Yeah, but some of it, some of it is there. Some of it is there from like Raptor Attack, because Raptor Attack has some very frenetic elements to it. But that's more like the kitchen scene.
1: Yeah, that's the that's the kitchen scene. So this is just this is when um, Ellie is yeah restoring power, and I think it starts with the with um you know torn off arm. Um, uh, Mr. Arnold. Shoulder. Mr. Arnold. Mr. Arnold, right. And then I think it was supposed to play, I think some of it, if I can remember correctly, the the more suspenseful stuff plays when Muldoon is hunting the raptors.
2: Mm-hmm. And of
1: course, he doesn't take his own advice, right? Yeah. It's like they hunt so in packs and he just like the clever girl stuff. So that's again, and I think when he gets attacked again, you're going to hear the music just explode. And I think that was also supposed to play over top of that sequence, but it just plays more low key and really sinister like there's some track cues in there, and I guess we see the the eyeball of the the one raptor and the snake crawling across. Um and it's more lovely. Yeah, it's it's way awesome. more sinister than the over mm-hmm. the top uh scoring that John Williams implied. But it's still a great cue and should be heard, and I'm glad we have it.
0: Yeah. So what I'd like to do is actually play Hungry Raptor and then play the cue Raptor Attack.
1: Oh, yeah. Raptor attack. Well, that's something else. That's some great suspense horror music. This is um, film scoring 101 here where Williams is just hitting every accent and doing it so well and just scaring the bejesus out of you while you're watching it. Like even the I'm not sure. Is it in this queue where you hear the uh, the choir? I believe so. As the raptor opens the door, learns mm-hmm. how to open the door. It's just this low choir. This real kind of like religious sounding low choir as if like, it's like some act of God that the, the Raptor is being able to open the door.
0: So let's go ahead and we'll play uh, hungry Raptor and then we'll play Raptor attack. So now we're getting into the mother of all action tracks, not necessarily the first for this film, but one of them, <laughs> and that is the uh, T Rex rescue. Um, I don't think it's called that on the score. It's like the it's part of the finale. Like it's the T Rex rescue and the finale. Yep. I think it. <laughs> it's funny in a way, because they make the T-Rex out to be a hero. Sure. And he is, or she is. Uh, Rexy, as she's become affectionately known, uh, makes this heroic appearance as the raptors are attacking the group. And that is frenetic right there because they have cornered them, and it's four of them, and they're just standing there, and they've got these two raptors from two sides that are going to attack them and then all of a sudden the T-Rex shows up and bursts through and like utterly destroys one of them and then the other he's so distracted by them so that way the group four of them can just escape and Grant says to Hammond, Mr. Hammond, I've decided not to endorse your park.
1: This might very well be one of the best action cues John Williams has ever written. Mhm. It's just on fire. Oh yeah. But I also love the I also love the big timpanies. you know, to um yes. To, to to that matches the 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 raptor running towards uh Timmy, right? Uh, from underneath the uh, the raptor and you just see the feet, right? So dum dum dum. And I love it.
0: Yeah, like with the the freezer. Oh yeah. Timmy throws him into the freezer. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. And then I mean, and then everything just explodes from there. With the exception of um a kind of more maybe just a little bit of dialed down dialing down the kind of emotions uh once um uh, Lex restores everything. Yeah. So, and and you've got the the island theme comes back as as something very Um, is more heroic during that motion, during that part, but then you know um, Grant starts shooting at the raptors and then there's a whole giant chase sequence through to the welcome center and it's all just absolutely nuts. Some just amazing action writing. It's it's just on, like I said, on fire. What is interesting though, is the fact that for the T-Rex to be a hero they inserted the Journey to the Island island theme when the T-Rex shows up and saves the day. But in this cue, the way John Williams composed it, uh, you don't. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure exactly where the timestamp is, but then we then cut back to Grant and um, Ellie and the kids all take off. And that's where, you know, he says, I refuse to um I've decided not to endorse your endorse park. your park. So at that point, then we're back into John Williams' original music, which is that which has that classic fanfare at the end where we're one of the greatest shots in movie history is where you know the Tyrannosaurus dinosaurs, well the, yeah the smashes earth. the 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 final raptor turns around to the camera lets out a roar and the dinosaurs are like holy smokes what a shot <laughs> yeah. and so that's where you have that big kind of fanfare and the big thumping timpanies. and what's so great about that is John Williams in concert will now play Jurassic Park main theme then the island theme the B theme and then to end it instead of the way he ends it on the soundtrack which is more up subdued with the playing of the carnivore raptor theme uh he then inserts this fanfare at the end to give it kind of a more pops ending and so but it's just so good um and i and i don't really mind the the edit in the movie, it works. No, it um, works
0: really well. Yeah,
1: and I've played it with the the original cue, and it's kind of like, oh, all right, but this gives it it gives it something special and a kind of something for the crowd to to, to cheer when the when the T Rex
0: yeah. <laughs> um,
1: pops up. So yeah, exactly. And, and look, I had no idea. I remember seeing this, going, "How in the world are they getting out of this one?" I don't know because that raptor was about to pounce. And I didn't see this coming. And that's what happens when you get involved into a movie and you just kind of lose, you lose yourself to the film. So any sort of sense or anything that you think you could think of, you're just kind of like in it and you're like, what's going to happen? And it doesn't matter whether you see it ahead of time or like you're able to predict it. You're like, I don't know what's going to happen. And uh, I love the ending. Yeah. I love the fact that the T-Rex comes and rescues everybody. Just, and it gives us, the, like I said, it gives us just this great shot. Fantastic shot.
0: So sadly, we've come down to another end of Soundtrack Alley, and I'd like to thank Alexander Shebel for composing Soundtrack Alley's theme music. Find his work at XanderScores.com. Also, Eric, I really want to thank you for being on the show with me today, having me on the network, and everything. I, I, you know, I couldn't do as much as I do now without your network being available, and um. You can find my archive of the show or like archives of my older shows on soundtrackalley.com through Anchor and through iTunes. For and it's all at like Soundtrack Alley Spotlight. Um, That's how it appears on Apple Podcasts. (laughs) Um, And then, of course, check out Anime Spectacular on Cinematic Sound Radio and find all the other programming on. CinematicSound.net.
1: any last thoughts eric no i'm just uh i'm glad we got a chance to talk about this movie and you know again just having an excuse to go back and and revisit it it's so much fun and i could watch this any time of the day any day of the week any month of the year and and always that's why i have it on voodoo digital yeah, and <laughs> it's always just <laughs> it's just so much fun and there's a, so much music that we didn't even that we didn't even talk about the, it might seem that this is all big action music, adventure music, big themes, sweeping themes, but there are some quieter cues, um, for, uh, my friend, the brachiosaur, the, um, yeah. like you said, the petticoat lane, remembering petticoat yeah. lane. And yep. there, um, there's some, uh, but there is some more frenetic action material like there's this really crazy just over a minute track for uh, when um uh, Dennis after stealing the embryos is racing towards the dock against some more great woodwind writing um there's some great kind of a JFK inspired suspense music for when Dennis is stealing the the embryos so there it's a wide variety of music and styles and
0: it's a well balanced oh, album. Absolutely.
1: And it's not overscored. And that's what I find to be fantastic. It's like dialogue sequences are are allowed to breathe without the you know interference of music. And it really comes in exactly when it needs to come in. And but also it's it's John Williams, you know, writing great film music, like servicing the movies so perfectly, but also is able to, as he's done so many times over the years, just transcend the movie, and it's just great music on its own. And that is the that is the sign of a f- brilliant composer. Anybody that can do that, anybody that's also concentrating on writing for film and also writing great music for themselves, those are the composers that I, I appreciate and love and want to celebrate.
0: So, without further ado, we will play the T-Rex Rescue, you, and until next time, happy listening.
1: tuning in to the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. I want to thank Tim Burton for providing his voice, for all the bumpers and stingers you hear throughout the program, and David Cosina for providing Cinematic Sound Radio's theme music. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please email us at, sound at yahoo.com. You can find us on social media at sound Radio on Twitter and Cinematic Sound on Facebook. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please take a moment right now to rate the show, and write a brief review. Reviews help introduce potential listeners to the show. And while you're at it, head over to TeePublic to get a Cinematic Sound Radio t-shirt. And don't forget to check out Cinematic Sound Radio at CinematicSound.net.